There are two words in the English language which for most American adults inspire fear and terror. Middle school. (laughs) And if you remember middle school, you might remember that it may not have been the best time of your life. If you're in middle school right now, we're praying for you. It gets better. It's much better over the course of life. But... I want to share something today uh, that my mom, who's actually here today, uh, told me over and over again as uh, she dropped me off for school. She would say, this was during middle school, she would say as I was getting out of the car, Will, don't let anyone steal your joy. Now, you might imagine uh, that this was a well-meaning thing for my mom. My mom is a very nice person. She's a good person. But for 13-year-old Will Rooney, who is about this tall, maybe, somewhere in there, uh, this was rather frustrating. It was a rather frustrating comment to, to hear over and over again each day. In fact, it became a little annoying sometimes. Because if you think about it, uh, for my mind, it was like, how could I control if I had joy or not. Joy was something elusive, much less how could I keep someone from stealing my joy. I had it at some points, and then it would evaporate uh, suddenly because of some remark by some teacher or some other student, or sometimes for no apparent reason whatsoever. Now, a couple of years later, during my freshman year of high school, at the end of my freshman year of high school, I encountered Jesus in a way that I knew that I could have a relationship with him. I uh, was uh, overcome by this uh, desire to be a disciple. On a retreat, um, I encountered Jesus as a savior and as a friend, as one who was always present to me. And I knew that I wanted to follow him. Before then, I knew he was God. I knew a lot about Jesus I thought I knew a lot about the church. I was kind of the know-it-all kid in religious education. And, um, but I hadn't encountered him as one who was a friend, a savior, and that I wanted to follow. From that moment, I knew I wanted to follow Jesus, and I usually tried to live as his follower. Um, didn't do that perfectly. Um, Mom, you can't tell any stories here, right? Um, but I certainly tried. And I thought I had found the joy that she was talking about. I thought I had encountered this joy. But there was something strange at the same time. Um, I still struggled. And I still do today sometimes. Sometimes I've felt very far from Jesus as I struggled against sin in my own life. Or as I endured whatever life threw at me. And I began to ask many questions as I got older because of those experiences. Why do bad things still happen? If I'm following Jesus, why isn't everything perfect if I'm following Jesus? Why am I not free from sin if I'm following Jesus? Why is there suffering in my life and in the life of other people around me if I'm following Jesus? I didn't expect this. Why don't I have the apparent sense of joy? at every moment of every day, if I'm following Jesus. Now, if you're a disciple, if you've decided to follow Jesus, um, you've probably asked yourself some of those same questions if you've been following him for any length of time. Because it's just the reality of life that we encounter suffering as we go through life. And these are not bad questions. 
In fact, they're the questions we ought to be asking if we're homeward bound hobos for heaven. They're precisely the questions we should be asking if we're following Christ. In his letter to the Philippians, from which we'll read uh, over the course of the next four weeks at Mass, St. Paul, he writes a lot about joy. In fact, in one part of the letter, he says this. Um, He says, rejoice. I shall say it again, rejoice. Now, friends, if you're an English nerd, um, the the verb form that St. Paul uses in that that sentence is the imperative. It's not an option. It's a command. He says, rejoice. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. But these two things seem in contradiction, don't they? That we, on the one hand, experience suffering in this valley of tears, but on the other hand, are told over and over again, rejoice. That joy is somehow the mark of a Christian. So what does it mean? How can we admit that there is suffering in our lives and at the same time rejoice always? I suggest that this, this mixture of joy and suffering is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian in the world, a follower, a disciple of Jesus who... We follow all the way to the cross. Where the master goes, so the disciple must also follow. We should expect it. But how and why can we be joyful even in the midst of suffering? Over the next four weeks, as we follow St. Paul through the letter of the Philippians, we're going to explore those questions. We are going to ask where true joy comes from and how we can have it even amid the sufferings even amid the sufferings of life. Now, as we dive into this letter over the next four weeks, it's helpful to have a little bit of background about where St. Paul is coming from when he's writing. Because it changes the way we read when we remember that St. Paul is not some abstract figure, but he was a Christian just like you and me. And he had joys and sufferings. And in fact, when he's writing the letter to the Philippians, he is in prison. If you go open your Bible this afternoon and you read the letter to the Philippians, it's only four chapters long. It'll take you about 20 minutes to read. Uh, You'll see over and over again him make reference to his imprisonment. And we would think perhaps that uh, a letter written from prison would be marked by a certain depression, uh, marked by a certain sadness, marked by a certain um, malaise. But quite on the contrary, In this letter, we find a remarkable spirit of joy from St. Paul. A joy which permeates every word as he talks to his beloved Philippians. One author puts it like this, the letter to the Philippians is focused much on the need, indeed the realistic possibility for those who are in Christ to live a joyful, hope-filled, yet cruciform life in the face of internal and external challenges to the gospel. St. Paul, writing from prison, is utterly convinced that joy is indeed possible at every moment of his life. He gives witness to this fact, not only by his words, but by his very situation, which would have been well known to his hearers. He knows what suffering is, and he still doesn't back down from his claim, from his command. In the portion of the letter that we read today, which is near the, its beginning, Paul explains his total trust in the Lord. 
He's convinced that Christ will be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. For as he says in another place, it is no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. Friends, Paul eagerly desires to depart and to be with the Lord. He's a hobo. He's going home to heaven. He desires heaven above all things. He desires to be freed from the suffering he still experiences. He recognizes it as an evil. Not something to be desired, but something to not be desired. And he also knows that his life is not his own. And that Christ is in fact present with him and in his sufferings. In the sufferings he endures, Christ is made present. Paul's joy in the midst of great suffering is not found in the denial of the hardship which he endures, but rather in the fact that he is in Christ. That word, that preposition, is so important in the New Testament because it always refers to being in Christ. And when we are in Christ, brothers and sisters, we become partakers of his suffering. And that labor of suffering becomes fruitful from being with Christ. In the gospel today, we hear about this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And the key moment of the drama of the parable comes when the landowner pays all of his servants the same. This seems unjust to us in many ways. It offends our sensibilities. But God's ways are not our ways. He's not capricious. He's magnanimous. He's great-hearted. And there's no limit to his generosity. The landowner who represents God is the desire of the hearts of his workers. He goes out time and time again because he desires that all would be able to come and share in his joy, which is immeasurable, incalculable, and available to all those who come into his vineyard. You think about how Christ continues to come out. He continues to reach out to us. He makes Himself present to us here in the Eucharist. And He makes Himself present to us in the other sacraments. But also at every moment of the day, we must seek the Lord while He is to be found. Because He makes Himself present. He can be found. The parable, like St. Paul, teaches us that joy comes from cooperating in God's own saving work. We're going to talk more about how our cooperation leads to joy in, uh, in, the few, in the next few weeks. But even more deeply, today we recognize a more fundamental truth. Joy comes from being with the Lord. And we can seek Him, for He has made Himself findable. At every moment of every day, we can find joy, for we can encounter Jesus At every moment of every day, God is pouring Himself out, letting Himself be found. He moves us to find Him. Time and again, He offers us covenants so that those who seek might find Him. In fact, it's sometimes in the midst of profound suffering that we can encounter Him most uh, in the best way possible. We see this over and over again in the Bible. God comes to the brokenhearted, to the suffering, to those who are weak, to those who have failed. God comes to those who have no hope. And ultimately, Jesus 
shows this in the way he encounters every person. He comes to those who are in need. He comes to those who are weak and those who are suffering in a particular way. We can see that God draws his people back to him in the midst of profound suffering. C.S. Lewis put it like this, We can ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain and suffering point to the fact that all is not as it ought to be. Think of, friends, the workers at the end of the day in the parable. They're miserable because they've been standing around idle all day. And we don't know exactly why they haven't entered into the vineyard. They give the answer that no one has hired them, that no one has given them the chance. But perhaps there's something more. Perhaps there was at first a resistance to go into the vineyard of the Lord, to be with the landowner. It's only at the end of the day when they're miserable and God once again comes to them that they're able to say yes to entering into the vineyard of the landowner and thereby discovering the joy that they have missed thus far. Friends, joy comes from being with the Lord and He makes Himself findable at every moment of every day. Even in the midst of profound suffering, Nothing can steal your joy from you without your permission. For Christ is findable. And you, you're, you, you have died. And your life is hidden with Him. He lives. He lives that you would be able to find Him. He comes for you. And He desires your heart. Let Him find you and encounter that joy.